Today is week three of our series. And if you have come any of the other weeks, you'll know that often we start with a question or something. So the question of the day, question of today is, where are the places that you have lived and have any of those, how have those places changed you as a person? So think back, maybe you've lived in Florida your whole life, but maybe you moved to a different home in that time. Maybe you've lived in different places in the country. Where are the places that you've lived and has that impacted you at all in any way? I'll just give you a moment, if you would, share with the person next to you. If you are sitting by yourself, there might be someone in front of you or behind you, or you can just think about it, write a note to yourself. Those of you who are online, please post in the comments, whether you're on Facebook or you're on our church live stream, we'd love to look at those. So where have you lived and how has that affected you as a person? Have you lived anywhere? Oh, I'm still on. Hello. Did you hear about any interesting places? Forgot I had still my mic on there for a minute. How many of you, the place that you mentioned to your friend, the person you came with, was a place other than Florida? Any of you, you're talking about somewhere else, maybe where you're from, another place other than Florida, okay? How many of you said Florida? Anyone? Now, how did that place that you mentioned affect your life? Maybe some of us, the person that we came with, said it impacted our speech. Did any of you mention that, or would you say that, that that's affected? Maybe you have an accent because of where you lived. Anybody? Okay, a few of us, not too many. Maybe in another way, if you lived up north, maybe you are used to a certain pace of life or a certain way of thinking or a certain way of interacting. If you're more from the west coast, right? Uh, you might speak, you might have certain words that you use. If you're in the South, I've lived a few different places, but I've spent probably the most of my time in the South. And so I feel like that's made me maybe a little more easygoing. Maybe I speak a little bit more slowly. Maybe I have a little bit of that draw. I don't think too much. I did live in Alabama for a couple years and I got a real heavy accent which I think is beautiful, but my parents got a little concerned for a few years, so um, moving away kind of cured me of that and coming back, so we'll see what happens. Regardless of where we've lived, of where we've moved, what really matters is where we live now and how we're living. And when we think on a deeper level, there's a place that each one of us is living right now. So let's pray one more time, and then let's dive into God's Word. Dear Father, thank you for the chance to live in your presence. 
Thank you that you see us right now, that your heart is so full as you look at this building and you just see your people. Thank you for the chance to be here and to love you. God, as we open up your word, help us hear your voice. Thank you that you're speaking. We praise you and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So where did Jesus live? Where was he born? Think back. Where was Jesus born? Anyone know? Maybe any kids? We have a few kids here. Bethlehem. Jesus is born in Bethlehem. And then he grew up and he moved to Nazareth. And then he continued traveling throughout in his ministry. So that's where he lived physically. But I think we can see something on a deeper level. I'm in John chapter 13 this morning. John chapter 13. This is a story we're going to open up with today. So if you have your Bibles, feel free to open them up. If you have your cell phone, that's cool too. We have it on the screen, but sometimes it's nice to look between verses or be able to highlight something. So I encourage you to see if you can find your own there. So John 13, starting in verse 1, and we read this. It was just before the Passover feast. Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. The evening meal was being served, and the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, to betray Jesus. We'll pause right there. So the author, John, is giving us a little context here of what's going on. First of all, it's just before the Passover feast which to some of us might not seem to mean much, but to them, that would be like if we had said, it was just before Thanksgiving. It was just before Christmas. It was just before a really important holiday, a very important celebration, a religious tradition. Passover, everyone would come. It was so hard to travel, even harder than it is now with COVID. And so you might have friends or family members that you hadn't seen in a long time, maybe not since the last year. And some of us might be able to relate to that, especially over the year that we've had. So it's time for Passover. Everyone's coming in. They're coming into Jerusalem. There's excitement in the air. There's things happening. There's special religious services going on in the temple. It was just before the Passover feast. And Jesus is thinking some things through. Jesus knew that his time had come. He's about to stretch out his arms on the cross. He's about to do that final act, that final sacrifice, and go back to the Father. And the word tells us that he has loved his own who are in the world, but now he's going to show them the full extent of his love. He's going to love them to the end, your translation might say. He's going to love them to the uttermost. We're about to see that vividly. He's with his disciples. They're eating dinner together. They're having a special meal. But with all of the love and beauty that's in Jesus' heart, the enemy is doing something too, right? And we see already in verse 2, the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, to betray Jesus. Somehow Judas, and we sometimes paid him out to be a horrible person. Judas was a good guy. He's been walking with Jesus for three years. He's been following him, but something has switched, right? And so he's at that point where he's going to betray his best friend. He's going to try to force his hand. Jesus isn't doing things in his timetable. 
And Jesus isn't really operating the way Judas wants him to operate, and Judas feels a little bit out of control, and so how can I slide into the control of this situation? So Jesus, Jesus can look, right? He knows, he knows what's going on. So Jesus, he's going this way. Judas is going this way. Verse 3, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power. Wow. And that's true, right? When Jesus came into a situation, he came knowing the power that he had from the Father. He depended on the Father. He didn't tap into his abilities as God. He depended entirely on the Father. But when he came into a situation, if someone was hurting, someone was sick, someone needed to be healed, maybe someone had a demon, right, an evil spirit, Jesus had all the power. And he would come with authority and say, leave him. He would say, peace be still. He would say, be healed. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. Jesus knew who he was. He knew his identity as a son of the Almighty God. He knew where he was going. He had that purpose. And so my Bible has a comma, no, it has a semicolon, and then verse four starts with so. So I read that and I kind of picture, wow, Here's Jesus with all of this, knowing who he is, what he's about. He's so powerful, so. And what do you expect next? You expect maybe some act of greatness, some act of, wow, what is this guy going to do, right? Because of who he is. And I try to parallel it to someone today. If we're going to write something, maybe about the president or maybe uh, the, the most wealthy person in our nation, we might say something like, so-and-so had all the power in the world or all the fame in the world or so-and-so became president and so he made this change. He set up this law. He did this thing, something great, something important. And that would be expected. Jesus knows who he is. He knows where he came from. He knows where he's going. And so he got up from the meal. He took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, amen, yes. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet drying them with a towel that was wrapped around him. Do you see the contrast here? This is our Jesus. Our Jesus, our powerful, beautiful, healing Jesus. The Jesus with all the authority in the world. And Jesus knew the Father had put all things under his power. He knew what he was doing, and so he gets up. He takes aside his outer clothing, he picks up a towel, he gets a basin, and he bends down. The God of the universe. And he comes to Peter. You may know the story. If you don't, go back to John 13 and read it. Peter protests a little bit. Jesus, what are you doing? He has a conversation with Peter. And then imagine he goes down the line and he washes Matthew's feet. And then maybe Bartholomew, we don't hear much about him. Who else was there? Um, Andrew, the one who was always bringing other people to Jesus. And he's just going through. He comes to Thomas, Thomas who was doubting, right? He comes to Nathaniel. Nathaniel's the one who said, could anything good come out of Nazareth? And he's thinking back over all the last three years, and he's about to not see them. 
He only has a few more days with them. And so I just imagine Jesus is savoring this moment. And Jesus isn't washing their feet like we do with communion, right? Where we come, we knew we had communion that day, so we made sure that our feet were clean. Ladies, you made sure you got your nails done, or at least nothing looks too scary down there, and if you didn't, you feel a little ashamed. No, they've been walking around in the streets. Their feet are dirty. So Jesus is having to wash their feet, really and truly. But Jesus doesn't mind it. He's just, he's, he's maybe talking with them. He's thinking back over all this time that he's had. And he goes down all the way through the disciples, and he comes to Judas. And you may have seen different portrayals of this. Uh, I saw a really good one with Sight and Sound Theater's Jesus. And I don't know what that moment looked like, but I can imagine Judas probably felt extremely uncomfortable in this moment. Because first of all, Jesus is doing what he's not supposed to do. That's what probably the youngest person should do. That's what someone else should do. But Judas knows what he's about to do. And Judas cares about Jesus. Somehow, in his way, they're friends. And Judas is like, really, Jesus? Did you have to do that right now? Did you have to make this so much harder? And I don't know Judas's personality. Maybe he was the kind of guy who tried to play it off, right? Maybe he starts joking with Jesus, laughing, whatever, trying to make light of it. Or maybe he's just quiet, and it's really uncomfortable. And Jesus is here just washing his feet, knowing what's about to happen in an hour or two. And most of us, when we picture that moment, we may have had a moment in our life when someone betrayed us. We may have had a moment when something happened that hurt us deeply, that left us wounded. And it might be easy to imagine in that moment having maybe some self-pity you know, feeling like such a good person, feeling like such a martyr, right? Wow, I've done nothing but good for you, and I know what you're about to do. Here I am washing your feet. We might even be tempted to manipulate in that sense, right? Like, you have to change your plans now. It might not really be real. It might not be genuine, but there is nothing fake about what Jesus is doing. There is nothing manipulative about it at all. Jesus has no resentment in his heart. His heart is pure and open and loving. And you can picture whoever that person is, maybe if someone's coming to your mind, he's in front of Judas and he looks at Judas and he just washes his feet and he looks at him with compassion. He looks at him with love. And we don't know exactly how the rest of that played out. We do know that Judas goes on and does what he does. But I'm sure there was an inner conflict and turmoil. But the bigger thing in this to me is Jesus. And what I love so much about God's heart is that he was a God that would bend down, that would do that, not feeling any resentment. Why? Jesus lived loved. Jesus knew his father had said three times by this point who he was. First time when he came up out of the water being baptized, The second time on the Mount of Transfiguration, again, the father said, this is my son whom I love. And then again in the temple when some Greeks came and they said, we want to see Jesus. And the father spoke again to Jesus. And Jesus knew who he was. He knew he was a son of the almighty God. He knew he was loved. 
And so Jesus was free. Jesus did not have to prove anything. Jesus did not have to have someone else validate him. Jesus did not need anyone else to agree with him in order to be okay, in order to love. Jesus was completely free as the son that he was, and he could live out that love. Love Jesus. It's amazing. So Jesus goes on. We know that he dies. He's buried. He's resurrected. But right before he goes to heaven, he told his disciples something. I'm leaving, but I'm leaving you with a gift. Who's the gift? The Holy Spirit. And so he tells you, I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. He goes back to heaven. And now how does this play out in our lives? We've been talking the first week that we shared together. We talked about the spirit of adoption and how the spirit testifies with our spirit that we are children of God, sons and daughters, children. Last week we talked about the spirit and the spirit of freedom and how he sets us free, how living in the spirit is a life of freedom. This week... I invite you to turn to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5, last week we were more in chapter 8 and the week before. Romans chapter 5, we'll be reading verses 1 through 5, really focusing on that last verse. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. If you don't have that highlighted already, I encourage you to. Such an encouraging passage to me personally. But the end is like that climax. Your hope isn't fake. Your hope is real. Why? Because God has poured out his love into your heart by the Holy Spirit. When God gives us his spirit, he gives us his love. The word says that he has poured out his love. He hasn't just given us a little bit. This is the same word that's used when Jesus talks about the Lord's Supper. And he said, hey, this is the cup of the covenant. This is my blood, which is poured out for many. Same word. Later on in Acts, where it says, in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Same word. God's love has been poured into our hearts. I think about that word pour, and it always makes me think of rain right? It's pouring outside. It's pouring. And I think here in Florida, we experience that on a little deeper level. When I was in California for a couple years, we'd get rain and people would say, oh, we had such a big rainstorm. And we'd say, oh, that was just a little, little bit. But here, I remember my first summer, it was, it was scary sometimes. I, I decided I'd be here at work and, and I'd say, I'm going to wait a little while to go home because I don't want to be driving in that. And I remember my first time out on the highway, I don't know if it was I-4, when it was raining, and that's scary. You are out there when it's really coming down and people have their lights on, and if you're on I-4, you are praying. You're saying, Lord, please be with me right now. I love you. I'm so glad that I talked with my parents today. I told them I love them because anything could happen right now in this moment, because that rain is pouring. It's real. 
Jesus has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. I want you to notice something. Whose love is in our hearts now? His love. It's God's love. Because God's love is an entirely different quality than my love. My love has a limit. My love says, oh, yes. Just naturally, Julie love is, is says, oh, yeah, I'm going to love you. But then certain things happen, right? And it gets harder to love. God's love is this love. This is God's love. And this love... <laughs> This love doesn't run out. God's love has been poured into our hearts by his spirit. So we live in love. So what does that look like? Let's turn to our final passage. We're going to sit here a little while before we leave today. 1 John, 1 John chapter 4. Love this book. It's written by the disciple John, the disciple whom Jesus loved. And as you're turning, I'm just going to start with context all the way up in verse 7, 1 John 4, starting in 7. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only Son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. We know that we live in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in him, and he in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in him. In this way, love is made complete among us so we will have confidence on the day of judgment because in this world, we are like him. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. I love this passage. And to illustrate a little bit more, I'm going to need some help this morning. And I'm looking out in my audience. I don't know how many we have, but I'd like to know if there are any kids, any kids who'd be willing to help me. You don't have to say anything. I just need you to help me hold some stuff. It might be funny. It might not be funny. If there's any kids that want to help me, I'm looking out for you. Come on up. Come on up. We need your help. We can have more than one if you want to. Whoever wants to come up. Okay. This is exciting. So, we are, that's okay, that's okay. We're going to have fun. So, we're going to make sure we're staying sanitized. Wow, this is so exciting. Isn't this great to see our church family? Oh, it's good to see everyone. Hi. Okay. So guess what? What do you think this could represent? Any ideas? You're thinking? A trash can, I heard. Okay. 
This is actually going to represent God's love. Okay? So here's what happens. Let's look back. Okay. Can I have some of you a little bit more on this side and some of you a little more here? You want to back up just a little bit? There you go. Okay, so what does the Bible say in 1 John chapter 4? God is what? God is love. And it says in verse 15 of 1 John 4, if anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, what happens? God lives in him, and he lives in God. So when you say, yes, I believe in Jesus, God comes to live in you, how? Through the power of the Holy Spirit. So I need two friends over here to hold. Can you help me hold this heart? Beautiful. So when you say, yes, Jesus, I believe in you, God comes with his love, his different love, and he comes and lives inside of you. But what happens? Whoever lives, let's go backwards. If God is love and God is living inside of me, then that means I live in love. So I need someone, I need a boy. I'm going to ask you over here. Will you live in love? Can you fit in there? Is that okay? <laughs> Try. See if you can. Okay. So he's going to show us what it means to live in love. Beautiful. So when you live in love, it's very different, isn't it? Is it different to live in love? Yeah, it probably is. Because guess what? <laughs> this is serious, though. In, in God's word, it says what? It says that there is no fear in love. So all of us over here are going to be fear. Ready? So we're going to have a whole big bag of fear. You want to hold that? Okay, we're going to have some fear. And we're going to have some, um, some sadness. And we're going to have some, mm, some hurtful things. We're going to have some hurtful things. Okay, so we have all this stuff, right? And so we choose, Jesus, I believe in you, even though life is sometimes hard and sad things happen. And so, okay, God, I'm going to come live in love. So all of you come over here with me. Ready? Then we have all these things that come up that try to distract us. So we have, we have some, let's, I forgot what this was. We have something hurtful happen. Okay. Ooh, someone comes up and they do something to me and it really hurts me. And before, before I lived in God's love, what might I do? What do you think you would do? Mm. Yeah, um, probably something that I would feel, I would continue to feel hurt, or I might, I might hurt others, right, to, to, to do that hurt that they showed to me. But now I live in God's love. So if I said, can you step into this now? You can't, because you're living in God's love. You can't fit in there. Nope, that's not going to work. That's not going to happen. And then here comes something else. Come, come. Here comes some, some other hard things. Here comes some doubts. Ooh, can we still have doubts when we live in love? Yeah, we could still have some doubts. But guess what? We can't live there anymore because we live in love. So here comes some doubts saying, I want you to live in me. You're like, oh, no, I can't fit in there. Okay, doubt. Well, goodbye, doubt. Goodbye. Thank you for your help. Okay, and then the last one, who's, who is helping with me? Fear. Is that you? Okay, here's a big one. 
How does love relate to fear? Here comes fear, and we have a lot of fears, right? Especially this year. Ooh, something could happen to me. Something could happen to my job. Something could happen to my family. Maybe the fear of being enough. Maybe a fear comes up, I'm not, you're not enough. Maybe the fear comes up, you're not accepted. Maybe it comes up, someone's not going to like you. But guess what? When here comes fear, and, and you come up and you say, ooh, come live in me, can you fit in here? No, you can't live in fear when you're living in love. That's how amazing Jesus' love is. It casts out all fear. You can't live in those places. Last week we talked about how we no longer live in sin, right? That's not my house anymore. I could still sin, but I don't live there anymore. Guess what? Because I live in love. Thank you so much. Let's give him a round of applause. Thank you for your help. Super amazing, beautiful job. Thank you. Thank you so much. Let me see if you can, yeah. We're, you're still living in love, even though you're not in the trash can, I promise. Thank you for your help. Okay, you can all have a seat and go back to your parents. Hopefully you can find them. Parents, maybe raise your hands. I used to get really nervous to go up for the children's story because I couldn't find my parents afterwards. So help your kids find, find you. <laughs> oh, love it, love it, love it, love it. So we laugh a lot, right? And it's fun, it's fun to see our families up here. But think about this really in your life. Are you living in love? Do you know how loved you are? Because here's the implications, right? Think about Jesus. When I truly know how free I am, when I know my identity as a daughter of God, when I know how loved I am as a son of God, I am free from living in fear. I am free from resentment. I can be free when others sin against me, just like Jesus experienced, I, am, I can be free to forgive because I live in love. That doesn't mean that, that what they did has no value or it doesn't matter, but I'm no longer identified with that. Think about it, Jesus could have been so identified by what Judas had done, right? That could have been the only thing that he thought about all the time. Man, that thing that Judas is doing to me. Jesus was not identified with that. He lived in love. He said, yeah, that's going to happen, but I can still love you. When I live in love, God's word says, we love others because he first loved us. So it's not only an internal thing, living in love, of living in the peace and joy and freedom of Jesus. I can now love others with that same love that God has, regardless of what they do or don't do for me regardless on if they deliver on their promises, regardless on if they do something that hurts me, because it's no longer my love, because now I live in love. That's the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what he does in our lives, because his love has been poured out into us. I invite you to think on that, to resonate on that, to just marvel at the matchless love of Jesus, of the universe, bending down to wash Judas's feet, as we continue, as we come through the end of our service, as we hear this song right now, it's so beautiful. Just resonate on that, on God's love, and how now it lives inside of you.